Yeah, good to see you. Um, Man, I don't know about you, but the sickness continues to go around. You can be praying for Pastor Ryan's family. I know that they're struggling with sickness, and um, there's a lot of that going around. I hear some of you out there sniffling a little bit, and um, just be praying for one another, because uh, about this time of the year, I know that I am done with it, and I'm just ready for spring, and we can move on. Of course, then you hit allergies, right? So, um, But no, seriously, uh, be praying for one another, and maybe take some hot soup to, some, to one of your neighbors or something, and check in with them, see how they're doing, um, and maybe you need that. I don't know, So, um, but uh, it's definitely that time of year. But hey, uh, we want to welcome you today. If this is your first Sunday, my name is Pastor Luke. Um, Pastor Ryan, he preaches uh, most of the time, uh, but once a month, he takes about three hours on a Saturday morning to train leaders who um, are, are up-and-coming leaders in our church and to invest in them and their growth in Jesus and uh, help them grow as men and women, uh, both in their families and in the community, and also to help lead in our church as well, and just to grow as um, children of God. So um, there's 17 people in our phase one leadership development class right now, and uh, Pastor Ryan spends, uh, spends three hours, and of course there's tons of prep time that goes into that too. And so I get the privilege this year of, uh, of every fourth Sunday getting to preach. So um, I'm enjoying it. I'm having a lot of fun digging into God's word with each one of you. Um, if this is your first Sunday at Involve, um, we want you to know that we value scripture highly. And you'll find that whatever we say and whatever we do, we're always asking the question, this, this one question, what does the Bible have to say about that? It, it permeates everything that we do. And our sermon series are no exceptions. Um, in fact, most of our sermon series, they take a book of the Bible and we just preach straight through it. Every passage, every verse, every word we, we go through. Um, we believe that uh, God inspired every word of Scripture. That every word is important in Scripture. It was carefully picked by God for our instruction, our benefit. Um, we believe that Scripture, that the Bible is not like any other book. We believe that it is supernatural. There's something very special about it. And as we read through it, as we teach it, as we apply it to our lives, that something amazing begins to happen, that God changes us. And he changes our perspective on life. And uh, there's, uh, there's something amazing about the words of Scripture. They're given, and it's because they're given by God himself. We believe that at Involved Church. So we find ourselves in the middle of, uh, of a message uh, that God gave to Paul. And Paul, um, he was writing this letter to the first century church in Rome. And before I dive in, I'm, that screen is up there. You're probably like, what is, what's going on? Uh, we are, uh, in, our, in this series, for those of you that don't know, we are taking questions uh, live. So um, please don't make it too hard. I'm joking. If you have a question, please go ahead and text it in. We want, to, uh, we, we want to try to answer to the best of our ability. If we can't answer it here on a Sunday, we will answer it midweek. So go ahead and text in your question. Pastor Ryan's receiving those this morning, and we will, we will answer those at the end. So, um, so that said, um, we are—this is not working. I don't know why. Cause, probably because we're further back than normal. There we go. Um, so we find ourselves in the middle of this letter— that God gave to Paul to write to the church in Rome, in the first century church in Rome. And up to this point, Paul has spent some time demonstrating to us that every person is a sinner. He spent some time telling us that there's not one person who's perfectly righteous on the face of this earth except for Jesus. He spent some time saying that only Jesus can claim the attribute of blameless. 
He's the only one that can say, I am completely blameless in the sight of God. I have no sin. Then he tells us that both Jews and Gentiles, non-Jews alike, are both in need of some way to be made right with God. So that's, he said that up till this point in Romans, and that our status as sinners has afforded us a verdict of guilty before God, who is perfectly just. And uh, God in his justice, he handles justice with perfection. Everything he, he does is perfect. And, so, and, and that, that applies to his judgment too. And the sentence handed down for our guilt is death. So this guilt before a holy God demands blood, but as Pastor Ryan pointed out last week, Paul shares something that's life-changing. Um, and that life-changing uh, message that Paul is sharing is good, is good news for us because we're supposed to die. But what Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verses 22 through 25, is this. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe since there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as an atoning sacrifice in his blood received through faith. So in a nutshell, that's good news, right? Amen? That is very good news because rather than me shedding my blood as a consequence as, 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 as for, to serve out that sentence, um, to uh, pay for that a guilty verdict, Jesus Christ was an atoning sacrifice in his blood. He paid the penalty for my sin. The good news is we don't have to die for our sins that we've committed. Jesus died in our place. And more than that, the confirmation to us that Jesus' sacrifice was good enough to God was that he was raised from the dead. We believe that. We believe that Christ actually raised from the dead. And so those of us that place our faith in him enjoy the benefits of having paid for our sins through his shed blood. And also we won't die because we're linked with him in eternal life too. So that is, that is an amazing thing. That is good news. And we can have peace and we can have forgiveness and we have joy and we don't have to wonder whether we're good enough. Um, at this point, Paul, um, he's going to take a bit of a turn in his, in his message to the church in Rome. He's going to explain to us in chapter 4 how Abraham, a long time earlier in history, Abraham, the father of Isaac and the father of Jacob, was saved by faith and not by works. So if you asked that question last week, were Old Testament saints saved by faith or by works? You can find the answer to your question on Facebook or YouTube, um, but... The answer is in chapter 4, which we're going to head to next week, of Romans. We're going to talk about how Abraham was saved by faith. Uh, but before, before Paul hits that, uh, he wants to touch on a few topics and, and summarize everything that he's just stated for us. So I just gave you a bit of a summary. But there's a couple pieces in the last five verses of chapter 3 that we, that we need to cover together that are, are really important to Paul, that he wants to make sure that we get before he moves on. So uh, before we do that, let's pray together, okay? Let's bow our heads. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it changes us, that as we read it, as we apply it, we're made more like our Lord and Savior Jesus. I thank you that we see your atoning sacrifice 
by the giving of your son, um, just written all over these, these pages. I pray, Lord, that um, we would see that you are a God of love, but also a God of justice. I pray that we would not just see your wrath, but that's important, but we would also see your grace and your mercy, and we would see how you have miraculously worked it out for us, that we can be made right with you, that we can have peace in this life and in the life to come. Open our eyes in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, uh, let's, let's move into verse 27 of chapter 3. Uh, Paul says there, Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By one of works? No, on the contrary, by a law of faith. For we conclude that if a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So Paul's making a profound statement here. We're going to pause for a second. He's making a profound statement. At this point, I want to... Um, I want you to imagine yourself, put yourself in the shoes. Actually, as, as I was practicing through this, um, I'm going to have you put yourself in the shoes of a first century uh, believer. And my wife says, hey, it's actually the sandals of a first century believer. Because they didn't know. It's like, okay, it's a figure of speech. Put yourself in their place, okay? So uh, put yourself in the shoes of a first century believer who lives in Rome. And uh, it's early on a Sunday morning, and you might be gathering in somebody's house. You might be gathering in a Jewish synagogue, which is not in use on a Sunday morning uh, in the first century. And, uh, and your group leader, whoever it is, that possibly an elder by this point, he steps up and, and, and says, uh, Hey guys, I just received a letter from Paul, and I'd like, you to, I'd like to read it to you all. Okay? So he starts, he starts reading through it. As this person, person read, you've, you've probably gotten the point that we've done a lot that warrants punishment, a lot of bad that warrants punishment, okay? So that's, that's established really well by Paul. And you've probably gotten the point that justice was served and that Jesus died in your place. That's very, very clear. And you've probably also gotten the fact that Jews and Gentiles alike need to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, sins. And Paul knows all of this, but he also knows the human heart. And he knows that the direction uh, of our thoughts at this point um, are going to want to be defensive. Uh, He said that all fall short of the glory of God. Um, His next point about boasting, he wants to make abundantly clear, but he knows that we want to get defensive. And we want to say something like this, hey, I've done some things that are good. I've done some things that are good. I followed the Ten Commandments, mostly. I follow the Ten Commandments mostly. I rake my neighbor's lawn. I don't know if they had lawns back then, but today. I've raked my neighbor's lawn. I gave some money to Bob down the street when he happened upon hard times. I went to church on Sunday. I got baptized. I took communion. I even got involved in my local church, and I helped with set up every Sunday. I served as a leader in my church. Look at all the things that I did. Surely that's got to count for something. And... Paul wants to make it clear where we, where we are to boast and on what we are to boast. So someone said that pride, this is a quote, they said, pride in human achievement constantly threatens a prosperous people. Spiritual pride, listen to this, spiritual pride easily leads prosperous people to forget that their blessings are not rewards for being good. 
Another way to say that second part is that we're, we're not blessed as a result of what we do, but rather because God is gracious and God is kind and God is good. That's why we're blessed. It has nothing to do with what we do. When it comes to status before God, we have to swallow our desire to point to all of the things that we've done. We have to do away with trying to rationalize all the bad things that we've done, and we have to admit that we have nothing to offer God that merits righteous standing. Absolutely nothing. All there is is faith in Christ alone. God offers forgiveness of sins through faith in him. Faith excludes boasting because we are saved not by our works, but we are saved by the work of Jesus on the cross and by God's raising him from the dead. So uh, some people uh, will say at this point, I've, I've have had people say this to me. Isn't faith something that I do to receive salvation? Isn't that something that I, I receive as a result of something that I've done? And uh, some will make that argument. Um, but imagine with me for just a second. It's your birthday, okay? Uh, happy birthday. It's your birthday. You're sitting around. Um, there are gifts sitting in front of you. And... Uh, and somebody says, hey, I got this for you, all right? I got this for you. And you reach out your hands and you say, thank you. I appreciate that gift. All right, first off, have you done anything to deserve that gift in the first place that that person offers to you? Well, the very nature of the gift is that it's given freely and you didn't earn it, correct? That's a gift. That's the definition of what a gift is. Now, my next question is, by reaching out your hands and receiving that gift? Now, have you done anything else more to earn that gift? You haven't. It's still a gift. It's freely given by that person. They hopefully don't expect it back at the end. It's something that's given to you. By reaching out and receiving that gift, you're no more deserving. So salvation, according to Scripture, listen to this, is a gift that is offered freely. And faith is like the hands of the heart. This is not mine, okay? I'm just sharing this with you. Somebody else said this, but I think it's, I think it's awesome. Uh, faith itself is like the hands of your heart open, receiving the gift of faith, okay? Receiving the gift in faith of salvation. So you're just receiving the gift that has been offered to you. The receiving of the gift given of salvation does not earn you salvation. It simply is receiving what God is freely offering to you. So... Why are we here? Because justification is given to us as a free gift. God is offering you right standing with him, not of anything that you've done, and not because of any righteous status that you have, because you don't have righteous status apart from Christ. It's impossible for us to boast in and of ourselves because of that. But we boast in Jesus Christ and what he has done. And at this point... We're going to move on. So that's Paul's point up, up to this point. We don't boast in ourselves. We boast in what Christ has done, not in works that we've done, but our faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done on our behalf. And at this point, Paul turns our attention again to the fact that there's previously been a people of God, the Jews. Okay, so you have the Jews. And then you have those that are considered outside of the promises of God, the Gentiles or the non-Jews. And you probably find yourself thinking, here we are again. <laughs> the Jews and the non-Jews. Paul spends a lot of time on the Jews and the non-Jews. And I got to admit, I got to this point. I'm like, okay, here I am. I'm, I'm preaching it again. Uh, but here we are again. And um, something to consider is this. 
Why is Paul hitting this so much? Because for centuries, the Jews have been the chosen people of God. And more than this, the Pharisees so, and, and the other religious leaders, especially in the day of the first century, uh, they, uh, they prided themselves on the fact that the Jews had the law. Okay? That, was, that was a source of great pride for them. They, uh, they, they, uh, were afforded, they prided themselves on the fact that they were afforded a special status as God's chosen people. And uh, they also prided themselves on the fact that they were religious leaders and that they, above all the Jews, kept the law the best. Okay? Can you see? There's some, there could be some pride there. And you see it working itself out uh, as Jesus interacts with them. What Paul is pointing out uh, in the next verses is uh, that the attempts of the Jews to follow the law, they fall short. Uh, even if, listen to this, even if they were able to follow the letter of the law, all of the behavioral codes of conduct, the Ten Commandments, even if they were able to follow each and every one of those, it's not enough to save. We find Jesus saying things like this to them. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines, human commands. God knows, and Jesus Christ knows, as he's interacting with these Pharisees, that the problem ultimately is with the the propensity of our hearts. The desire of our hearts is to boast on the wrong things, all of these things that I've done. But we don't have a standing with which to boast from. We cannot boast on anything good that we have done. So Paul makes the statement that works don't justify us, but faith does. And then he tears down that dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles again. And this is good news for us, those of us who are non-Jews, which is most of the people in this room. This is really good news for us, because previously you had to convert to Judaism and you had to follow the letter of the law and go through some things in order to follow Jesus, in order to follow God. But now God has, uh, has, has made a way through Jesus Christ. So listen to this. Um, he, makes, he makes this question. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Again, he's reminding us that the Jews' salvation comes through trusting God and the one he sent, the long-awaited, the long-awaited Messiah, right? That's the, this is the one that they've been waiting for. So he's reminding them. He goes on to say this, since there is one God who will justify both the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Here's what, here's what Paul's saying. He's, uh, Paul builds logical arguments. Maybe you're starting to figure this out, that Paul like, likes to just build things and stack these arguments on top of each other. And I'm terrible when it comes to like writing logical proofs, by the way, but I'm going to do my very best for you. So follow, follow me with the train of thought. I'm trying to outline Paul. Here's what he's saying. Jews, you've always said that there's only one God and that you are the ones who worship the one true God. If there is only one God, he is the God of Gentiles too. If there's only one God, one true God, he is, he's the God of everything, right? And he's the God of Gentiles too. Jews, you keep arguing that you are saved by your adherence to the law. But I, Paul, keep saying you can only be saved by faith, not by works. The ideas are mutually exclusive, which means they are incompatible with each other. 
You can't be saved by works and by faith. It's one or the other. That's what Paul is saying here. Both can't be true. Since God is one, he is consistently faithful, and there's only one path to salvation, both for Jews and for non-Jews, and that path is faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And in building the argument, Paul's giving us a message that isn't full of condemnation. Listen, listen to me. He's not condemning people, right? I, um, I can come off really um, harsh sometimes, and, uh, and, and that is not what Paul is saying. He's not condemning. He's giving us a message of hope here. Because whether you're a Jew or you're a non-Jew, you don't have to wonder whether or not you're acceptable to God. And you don't have to wonder whether or not you've done enough or you're good enough or you've done too much bad. If you place your faith in Christ, you can have peace with God and you can live free from the, the fear of whether or not you are good enough or bad enough. We don't live in fear because of what Christ has done. That is a message of hope that Paul is offering in Romans. And he does it again and again and again. And he, I, I think he's doing it because he's not only building a sound theological argument, but he's hoping that the Roman believers will finally begin to understand. And even those that are in their midst that don't know Jesus will hear it and go, yes, he's right. He has built an airtight argument that God has worked a way where there was no way. Paul, um, unfortunately, I think, actually, it's not unfortunately, every word is really important in God's word, but uh, in verse 31, he, he says something that seems to unravel his entire, entire argument. It looks like on the surface. So I'm going to read it to you, and then we're going to spend just a little bit of time on this. Do we, he says this, do we then nullify the law through faith? Absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So... Uh, What's he talking about here? Uh, He just said, it's not by the law that we're justified, it's by faith, but we uphold the law. Which is it, Paul? What's going on? Um, That's what I find myself asking as I I was reading through this. So what is he talking about? Um, So all throughout commentary, if you read about Paul, uh, and if you just read Paul himself, you read his letters, you find out that Paul has a very pastoral heart. And what I mean by that is Paul, uh, Paul likes to guide people along to the truth, right? He, he cares about them in the long haul. And you see his church planting efforts and you see how he um, writes letters to churches that he's previously had contact with. And you see that uh, just his tone and his overall, um, his overall heart for ministry is very pastoral. He cares about guiding people in the right direction over a long period of time. And by the time that he wrote this letter to the church in Rome, he'd been doing this for a very long time. He'd interacted with people quite a bit and had these uh, both arguments, but also explanations and teaching. And Paul knows what people's response is going to be. He's had enough discussion at this point to know what someone's going to say when he successfully makes the case that you're saved by grace through faith in Christ. Some might say this, ha, I'm saved by grace through faith, not by what I do. I now can do whatever I want without fear of consequence. I don't have to follow the law any longer. And here's what Paul would say. You are mistaken. Okay, that's what he's saying here. Um, So how does he bring these two ideas together? What does he mean? So in the first part of verse 31 that I have up there on the screen, uh, Paul asks a question. Essentially, the question is this. Does salvation by grace through faith in Christ mean that the, the law itself is no longer applicable? Do we have to follow the law? 
Uh, is it applicable anymore? Is it completely dismantled now that we are saved by faith? It seems like the answer to that question would be yes, if the ideas are mutually exclusive, right? If I'm saved by faith, not by what I do, the law tells me to do certain things, it seems like the answer to that question of uh, whether the law is dismantled or not is yes. But Paul surprises us by saying, no, absolutely not. It is not. So here's the explanation. I'm going to do my best to explain it to you, and I'm going to tell you what somebody else said, because they do a fantastic job of explaining it too. Uh, Paul has made the case that we're free from the negative consequences of disobedience to the law, right? If we're saved by faith, not by what we do, he's made that case that, hey, if you're saved by faith, you are free from the negative consequences of disobedience to the law. Jesus suffered those negative consequences in your place. Because you place your faith in Christ, and he's the one that took those consequences, uh, you don't have to take it for him. Uh, More than this, though, uh, Paul and the other New Testament authors, they make it clear that uh, when you place your faith in Christ, you know, identify with Christ, you're one with him. And this is a concept I want to pause on for just a second. What does it mean to be in Christ? We talk about being in Christ a lot, right? Um, and what does it mean to identify with Christ? And uh, when we get baptized, for example, we, uh, we get dunked under the water and we come up again, right? Um, similar to Jesus dying and rising again, we identify with him. Um, but there's a spiritual reality, too, about being in Christ. Um, you're one with him. This is the same concept um, that we're talking about when we say in Christ. So when Scripture says we're in Christ— It's stating that all of what Christ did, God attributes to us, like we've done what Christ has done. So you place your faith in him, and you receive what Christ has done. It's credited to you in the sight of God. The standing that Christ has before God, which is perfectly righteous, perfectly holy, acceptable to him, when you place your faith in Christ— that becomes your standing before God. You're perfectly acceptable. You're perfectly holy and perfectly righteous in your standing in the sight of God. Um, so there's a theological term for this. Uh, it's called imputation. Um, your, his righteousness and his good works are imputed to you, are, are given to you. And your sin is imputed to Christ. If you just think of it as an exchange, um, that's one way to think about it, that he gets our sin on him, and he gives us his righteousness and his good standing. Now, uh, why do I bring this up? Okay, it's a theological concept. We find it all throughout Scripture. Um, so it's important, but why do I bring it up here in this passage? Here's why. Look what Jesus said about himself. Matthew, can you go ahead and hit that next slide? Thank you. Matthew 5.17, he says this. Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And you know what? Jesus did fulfill the law. Not only was he the, the very embodiment of the law, he met the righteous requirements of the law to the letter. Every last piece of the law he fulfilled. Jesus Christ was the one that did it. So that means, here's what it means. If you are in Christ, then you too have met the righteous requirements of the law. That's how God sees you, as fulfilling the righteous requirements of the law. When God looks at you, he sees that you fulfilled the law because Christ fulfilled the law and you are in Christ. That's one aspect of what Paul's saying. That's not all that Paul is saying, though, okay? 
So last thing that he's saying is uh, Paul is not just talking about how God views us in Christ, all right? Like that's a positional thing, what we call positional standing before God. When God looks at us, he sees, he sees Luke has fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law because Christ did, and he places his faith in Jesus, all right? But he's also talking about something else. Um, did you know that what you need to be obedient to God and what he calls you to do, you can't do on your own? That's something that when we, under our own steam, apart from Christ, we try to obey God. Um, I just try to obey the Ten Commandments. It's impossible for us to do it on our own. We need something supernatural in us to enable us to carry out what God has asked us to do. We need God's Spirit living in us, but God's Spirit can't live within us until something is done about our sin. By placing our faith in Christ, God takes away our sin, he gives the righteousness of Christ to us, and he places his Spirit within us, and that Spirit enables us to now live for him. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read to you a, a guy who I think stated it a lot more eloquently than I can. Here's what he says. Paul affirms the valid demand that God makes of people in the law. So he affirms the law. And that demand cannot simply be swept under the carpet. Essentially, he's saying, look, God gave the law. There's a requirement there. If God is faithful and consistent, he's not going to abolish the law. The law still stands. That that requirement is still there. But one of the things Christ does is to fulfill the law on our behalf. We who are in Christ are therefore accounted as having fulfilled the law and been set free from the penalties for disobedience. It is, and here's the point, it is paradoxically this very freedom from the law's condemnation that puts us into a relationship in which true obedience, motivated and directed by the Spirit, can come about. It's because everything that we need to live a life worthy of the calling that we've received is given to us by God. We come with nothing before him, but he provides everything to us that we need and graciously gives it to us. He wants us to understand, Paul here, he wants us to understand that through faith in Jesus, God has given us all that we need to live for him. Uh, and, And what's amazing about it too is he doesn't just enable us to just do deeds. He changes the very motivation of our hearts. He changes us from the inside out. Our desires are changed. We want to live for him out of love for what he has done. It's not something that we, uh, we do out of rote obligation. It's out of love for him because we have been forgiven so much. And so he changes the motivation of our hearts um, we do it out of love for him. Uh, uh, Paul talks about uh, salvation first and then works flowing out of that in Ephesians 2. If you, if you grew up in church, uh, you've probably encountered this. If not, it is such a, it's such a great passage. All of, all of Ephesians is amazing, but Ephesians 2 is a summary of the gospel. And so I want to encourage you to read that if you can this week. Um, take some time and read through Ephesians 2. It's not very long, but it says this. You are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Another way to sum up what Paul is saying in verses 27 through 31 is, is this. And this is the, just the idea for the day. I'm saved by faith, not what I do, so I'll boast in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what Paul is saying. And he's going to move into explaining how even Abraham, so much earlier in, in the history of the world, was also saved by faith in God alone. Um, boasting. Uh, so, so boasting, if you have a legitimate basis for boasting, there's nothing wrong with boasting, right? Um, if you have, a, it, like, like, if you have uh, the foundation from which to boast, it's not a bad thing. The problem is that you and me, in and of ourselves, uh, we have no basis for boasting. We don't. And forgiveness has been granted to us as a gift through Jesus Christ. And so rather than boasting about ourselves, what we're called to do is boast about Jesus Christ. We are called to tell as many people as possible about what Christ has done for us. That should be the overflow of our hearts, is to boast on Jesus Christ every chance that we get because we've been, been forgiven so much. So there's a song um, that uh, some of you know, some of you probably don't know. Um, that's okay if you don't know it, because I'm, gonna, I'm about to introduce it to you. We're going to sing through it together, a cappella. But I think it sums up what Paul is conveying to us really, really well. And so um, here, it's how deep the Father's love for us. Who, who knows the song? Okay, good. That's really good, because I didn't want to sing it on my own up here. So um, <laughs> let's sing it together. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only Son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there Until it was accomplished His dying breath has brought me life I know that it is finished I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? 
I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you that you gave your only son to make wretches like us a treasure. We thank you that we don't have to wonder whether we're good enough because in Christ you have made us righteous and holy in your sight. Thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for eternal life. And God, thank you for the work that you have for us here, that we get to be ambassadors of Jesus and share what he has done. I pray, God, that uh, we wouldn't just leave it with we're saved and done, but God, that we would live for you, that our lives would be a living testimony to your goodness and your grace and your forgiveness. Thank you for what Paul has to say. I pray, God, that you would just embed it in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you. That's a great passage ending chapter 3, and then we'll be able to continue jumping into chapter 4. So we've had a few questions come in this morning, and I think we'll, we'll go through two of them here. Um, and then I think the last two uh, are, are very similar, and so those would be good ones to, to approach this week on video. Okay. But I just want to kind of give you guys a little bit of a heads up on some things. Um, last week we talked a little bit about anxiety, and if you want, if you're like, well, oh, there's some things maybe that you still want to hear about, uh, there is a video out there that we put out on, um, on Thursday, so you can check that out. Um, also, I have the question asked, why don't you just always do the videos? And, and really the reason why we do it here live with you guys and do some question and answer, one, in churches, I don't know if you guys ever get this sense, but there's kind of a culture like, well, we just come, we listen, and we go home. And really here on a Sunday morning, we want to be more interactive. And I've already found, I think both of us have already found, that as you present and open it up for questions, that after the service even, there's more interaction. So we really want to encourage that. Um, If you're just coming and you're like, okay, we just did our thing, we sang, and and we're going to go home and turn on the TV and... Of course, you don't get to watch the game anymore unless you're watching XFL now or something. But, um, you know, if you're just going home to do that, then, then you move into another part of life and you almost forget about everything. And so we really want it to be much more interactive, uh, and, and that just helps us learn. So that's, that's why we do it here. And uh, we, we always will say, I mean, we don't have perfect answers. So uh, if, if there's an answer that we give you and you're like, I don't know about that, feel free to ask more questions. So... Um, today, we have this first one. Um, let me go back here. So Romans talks about no one seeking after God in the earlier in chapter 3, and that we all go after our own way, uh, that not even one seeks after God, yet Christ also calls people to seek and knock and to come after him. So how could the latter be if the former is true? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Are you want me to answer? Are you? Are, to answer? I don't know. I mean, hey, you got okay. all the you got all the answers after today. Oh, right? thank you for that. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> no I'm just uh, uh, 
No, I know it's uh, being put on the spot isn't very fun. So um, at times, I think here's what I was thinking as as I was just kind of reflecting on that question. Matthew chapter seven, verse six. It says, "Ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you uh, and you will knock, and and the door will be open to you." And then he talks more about that seeking and receiving. I, I think that's the context, maybe that the person asks, is asking the question from, and so um, there in that context. He's talking about a person who already has a relationship with God. And so one of the things I think uh, can be seen is when you go to like Ephesians 2, which you just referred to, the very first verse is uh, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And so when it talks in Scripture about us going away from, from God, he's talking about that, that time, that period in life when we are dead, when we are separated, and we're seeking our own way. Mm-hmm. But then Christ comes, and he revitalizes us, makes us alive. And once that happens, then you've got both the flesh that we're dealing with and the Holy Spirit. And so there's kind of this, for all of us who have a relationship with Christ, we're walking in this, this time period until glorification when we go to heaven, where we are constantly battling against what the world has to offer and what God has to offer. Yeah. And so he tells us there to seek him, to pursue him. And the Holy Spirit is, is hungering for that too. Like This is what, this is what the Holy Spirit inside us wants. Yeah. But our flesh is constantly fighting against that, yeah. and so I think that um, is the way I would yeah. I would answer that question yeah. here this morning. So. Uh, yeah, I just encourage you again to read Ephesians two because uh, yeah. it does a- answer the question as Pastor Ryan was pointing out. Before we were dead, um, we didn't seek after God, but God made us alive, and so um, it, it really is dependent on Him opening our eyes. Um, yeah. And at that point, He He says, "Seek Me." From here on out, seek me. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, then this question, which I think is great, uh, is, is a good question uh, for us to talk about here. So, why do so many churches make it so complicated to be a Christian? So many rules. How do we make it more simple for those who sh- uh, we share the gospel with? Um, here's, I think, this is, is opinion, because it's not, like, there's no scripture or verse for this one, so. Um, I think what's happening in, in a lot of churches, let me back up, and, and we talked a little bit about this in our leadership class yesterday. The way that you came to faith in Christ often is the way you share your faith with other people, and it, the way you experience your relationship with Christ is the way you see the Christian faith lived out. And so what happens when is you have so many different people, um, pursuing Christ together, not only do you have scripture, but then you have experience. And today, especially, we talk a lot about stories and people's experience, and and then it starts to get a little uh, confused as time goes by. And so that's why we always try to drive people back to scripture more than our experience. Uh, A great example of this is just our marriages. How many of us have the exact same marriage? Anybody here? Would you like look across the room and say, my marriage is exactly like that marriage? No, because we're different people in a different relationship. And while God is always the same for all of us that we worship, we have our side of it. And so our relationship with God is different than, like my relationship with God is different than Luke's relationship with God. Mm -hmm. But we have the same God that we know and serve. And so that's why we always try to point people back Mm -hmm. to what God's word says, Mm -hmm. you know, it's truth and the revelation that we get from scripture. But we also know that we speak a lot from our own experience and even the way we interpret Scripture. And so then it starts to muddy the waters. And I think that's a lot of the reason why we have so many different 
um, churches with different faiths and what appears to be different rules. Yeah. Uh, and and that's, that's kind of where it comes from. So I don't know if you'll add to that. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that came to my mind when I heard that question was uh, it's actually very simple to become a Christian. <laughs> it's simple, but it's not simple. <laughs> but what, it, simply confess that you're a sinner and that you need Jesus Christ, that he rose from the dead, and, and trust in him alone. Like, that's, that's the gospel in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Um, is it 1 Corinthians 13 where he outlines that a little bit too? Uh, yeah, 15. Maybe it's, maybe it's 5.13. I can't remember. But it's in 1 Corinthians that Paul outlines just the very uh, basics of what it, what it means to believe in Christ. And, uh, and that's very simple. Uh, I think uh, there are some churches that uh, make it complicated. Uh, they want you to exhibit all of the signs of being a Christian before you actually, actually believe. And that's out of order. Um, belief comes first, behavior comes after. And behavior is a result of our salvation in Christ. And, uh, and so, yes, there, uh, being a Christian and being sanctified, becoming more like Jesus is a lifelong journey becoming a Christian is, a, is, is simple, and the message is simple. What's hard is coming to the point of humility and acknowledging, I am a sinner. I can't do it on my own. I need Jesus. So that's, that's the, the hard part, I think. Yeah, yeah that passage, 1 Corinthians 15. 15 okay. uh, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you have been saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I, uh, I passed on to you as the most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And, and that kind of just summarizes those three points, death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, that's what we believe in. And, and there's, you know, we have to realize we're sinners and we need Christ, and, and so we confess that, that sin uh, and so forth. But, but that's, that is the gospel, you know, in a nutshell. And and then living for him kind of gets all muddied sometimes, it depending does. on how, how and who you talk to. So, um, good. Well, uh, just a, a question, a couple questions I think we can uh, handle this week. So, so, if the old law is still valid, should we not get tattoos, or are tattoos even a sin? So, that would be a good video oh, one. That's um, so good. So I can't I wait. <laughs> we did the we did a taboo one which we could yeah. pull up, but I think um, we can definitely handle that one again this week. And then this one is similar to it. So if we are st- uh, still to uphold the law, then should we follow Old Testament laws like eating kosher and Sabbath restrictions and and so forth? So um, good yeah, I yep. think that would be would be a good one. So. Um, so yeah, so. Thursday at six, we'll post that Facebook, YouTube, live.involvedchurch.com. We'll hit that um, and uh, make sure to tune in. If you can't do it right at that time, it'll be available after that as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. 